Now, Rupert Pupkin may have taken things a bit too far, although he did get oh. results. But how True. would you go about becoming a legendary American talk show host? Prob- mm, probably get my cock out somewhere. Somewhere? It's about knowing where. Yeah. That's what Tony Brown, Tony Brown, Tony Danver teaches us. Yes, exactly. Robbins. Uh, uh, that's what Carol Danver's dad, Tony, uh, yeah. teaches us. It, it's, a, it's not about the cock as, as, as it is the, the context in which mm. the cock is produced. And I think... Oh, crucial, mate. You can't do it in church anymore. That's been done. Yeah, no. By, I'm going to say, Ryan Gosling. Yeah, Um, that's how he got into it. Yeah, but, uh, you know, a lot of people say it was the Mickey Mouse Club, but I think that's, again, done. That's Um, the code name for it. (laughs) Getting your cock out in church. Yeah. Um, Okay, so, Lewisham Market... Lewisham Market seems to be the hub of um, culture in the UK. So, so True. I think if you if you if you find a space near the fish, you know the fish section of the market, the fish when it's man. setting up at sort of four or five in the morning in the pitch black, mm-hmm. and you're just standing yep. there in your trench coat and nothing else, I think some someone's just going to mistake you for a, a, like a fish roadie, and 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 you can just sort of stand there looking all. Or one cool of the many fish groupies. That there are. Well, well, that's why you have to get there early, Paul, because yeah. otherwise you're just not going to get a space. And, and yeah. you know, you get your cock out at the back of the crowd of all the fish groupies, then, you know, join the queue of people with their cock out yeah. in the fish roadie groupie group. <sighs> Drop in the ocean. But what is an ocean without a multitude of cocks? Uh, yeah, you see. David Mitchell. Mm. David Mitchell, he knew. He knew. More than most. Got his cock out there. Constantly in the author's picture. Can't believe it's an unfold a fold out author's picture. New York Times list. Welcome to One Good Thing, the podcast that loves good old-fashioned American fun. I'm Paul Pupkin. I'm touching everything. I'm ruining the house. (laughs) No, get him off the tapestries. Yes, we are finally free of the merciless shackles of algorithm month. Oh, Oh, uh, mate, we had a 58% increase in listeners in the last two weeks, genuinely. Oh, okay, well, we'll just keep doing it. Yeah, let's keep doing that. We're back, folks. Welcome to Algorithm Month. Mark 2, the rest of the podcast. May it never die. Long live Algorithm Month. (laughs) Thank fuck. It's finally here. It turns out there's a reason every, literally everyone on the internet is doing this. <laughs> we thought we'd be the ones who buck the trend. Uh, but yeah. uh, here we are. I'm not that. You know, we'll try and still find time for, um, uh, what do you call it, for uh, Recommendations Month. I can't even remember it. It's that far out of my head. Uh, but frankly, unless... Loser suggests uh, the movie month. Uh, uh, that, that, I think that was its former title. Um, unless yeah. Tiptoes becomes suddenly rapidly relevant uh, due to the imminent release of Tiptoes 2. Um, still tipping. <clears throat> Um, it's unlikely to get too much priority. We've got to chase that algo. We, we, we've got to get all up in that algo, mate. And, and I feel like the po- mm. when the podcast started, because of the sheer glut of bad movies we had, that's essentially mm. what it was anyway. We were doing all the, the big bad movies, other than The Room, for the love of God, not The Room. Oh, and, and, Yeah, but and we got to Dorian Gray pretty quick. <laughs> and I guess episode five was The Devil Inside, so... Yep. But we had your Assassin's Creed, we had your Batman's versus Supermans, we had your... You had your Batman's Supers. 
And then, you know, we were back after Dorian Gray, we were back to doing lesbian vampire killers, mate. All the biggest films. Um, That's true. All the big blockbuster hits. Yeah. And that was when we were at our strongest, unarguably. Yeah. And here we are, once again, slipping back into the Corden shoes. Mm. As I like to fear them. Because, yeah, he is, well, he is the new king of comedy. <laughs> oh, God, there he is. Speaking of which, James Corden. Yeah. That's well, it's a him. ten episode. Yeah, that's enough about him. Uh, it's a ten episode, so we get to do whatever we want, whatever whatever we watch. We get to do whatever we watch, and what we watch is what we do. Yeah. And with Killers of a Flower Moon just over the horizon, <gasps> uh, I asked my good friend and man podcastman Paul Goodpod. Hello. If there were any big gaps in his Scorsese viewership, we might fill. And to my surprise and sexual delight, he admitted that there was one. Yeah. Marty's nineteen eighty two black comedy thriller. The King of Comedy. Now, I know it's an old hackneyed expression, but it happens to be the truth. You've got to start at the bottom. I know. That's where I am, at the bottom. That's a perfect place to start. So will you please give your warmest greetings to the newest King of Comedy, Rupert Pupkin. His name is Rupert Pupkin. He lives in a world of make-believe. Oh, Jerry, I love this guy. Always coming up with these great lines. I love him. I love him. Nobody can remember his name. Mr. Pupkin. Mr. Pupnik. Mr. Puffer. Rupert. Pupkin. P-U-P-K-I-N. But by 11.30 tonight, the whole world will know that Rupert Pupkin is the new king of comedy. Robert De Niro. Jerry Lewis. In a Martin Scorsese picture. The king of comedy. Yeah, and as it turns out, checking the IMDb, probably a whole bunch more, but none, none of the big ones. Oh yeah, you know, I've seen, I've oh, seen God. Silence, and I've seen um, the other one. So yeah, the, yeah, it's, it's the just big one. two. Yeah, yeah, but little... yeah, Silence and Hugo. Yeah, oh, that's it, Hugo. Sorry, I forgot yeah. because I was too busy um, realizing that he... Hugo poster. He's he's the most famous director of three films only, isn't he? I think. Yeah. Oh, it's, God, yeah. It's amazing yeah, that it's he's amazing. gone this far directing. He didn't direct anything for the first 20 years of his career, and then he did King of Comedy. It's, it's amazing that he had a career without having directed anything, but mm. he managed it, and that's what's, was, that's what's amazing. Just amazing. Actually, it would, to, you know, it would do. Let's have a little look at where Scorsese is at this point in his big old mad career that he's had for decades now, literal decades, mate. Sounds good. Ah, yes, after he spent his childhood watching amazing movies and not going outside for various reasons. Uh, and an education that brought him into contact with literally every significant figure in the American New Wave. Oh, okay. uh, Scorsese broke out with Mean Streets, yeah. which established a lot of his trademarks, like violence and Robert De Niro. He invented both of those things. Yeah, well, you know, we can't. Seems an easy thing now. Now we all have Robert De Niro, but before that, nobody knew, nobody could conceive of a Robert De Niro without yeah, breaking that's the thing, out into sweat. People will say, oh, anyone could have done that. It's like, yeah, the point is he didn't, though, did you? Yeah, he didn't, though, did you? You fuck. And then he gets out his Mark's shank. says he did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. It's it Roger Ebert you were speaking to, and he's not to be messed with. <laughs> um, so Ellen Burson at that stage is making The Exorcist when her agent sends her the script for Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Mm. Now, she apparently, for some reason, gets to pick the director because she's the big name here, so she gets to pick who directs it. So she calls oh. Franny Forkoppler. Oh yeah, um, and it's like, oh, I've got this amazing script, and it needs a director. Oh yeah, do you know anyone good? <laughs> oh. 
She literally called a task. Do you know anyone young and exciting? You know, he was in the middle of the conversation in Godfather 2 at this stage, but yeah. Do you know anyone who's not fucking fat and given up on life? (laughs) Do you know anyone who's not going to spend fucking six years filming this and almost have a heart attack and kill me? Oh, okay, yes, I guess. He tells her to go see Mean Streets, and uh, that's how Marty gets his first ever studio movie, which he doesn't like. (laughs) Oh, not a fan. He doesn't like doing that. He's not a fan of doing that. Um, yeah, and after that, he wants to go back to his roots. So he makes taxi driver at some roots. <laughs> oh God! He, he made a he made a more London, uh, London, New York based sort of documentary first, but then yeah, taxi yeah. driver. Pandor doc- was a documentary about how Ellen Burstyn should fuck off. <laughs> and- <laughs> Pandor, Oscar noms. Mm-hmm. Well, it's his oyster now. The world is his oyster card. And um, oh, I just got what they call it that. Oh, Did, oh is that really you? Just you just got it. No, I think I... I remember getting it on air before. Oh. I thought this could be a fun moment. Oh. But it wasn't. Well, yeah, because I couldn't, I couldn't tell if you were doing a wonderful joke or a wonderful epiphany. And, <sighs> well, um, I'm doing it a bit more deadpan than I usually do, mate, because I'm very conscious of how fat my beats are on um, the fucking Audacity meter. And I'm a little intimidated by it, so I'm adopting a sort of soothing BBC4 style hush. Yeah, I mean, you're... you're, you're, you're coming in quite close to the mic so you could always back off and it might yeah. be less intense you could always fuck off mate yeah oh yeah that's that's actually not bad yeah there we go you see it is but tempting. then you've got to take into account me uh shitty peepers because i'm having to lean in to see me meet me word doc ah uh, that's true i can't mm. see it from back here mate oh uh, you need your google glass mate oh god or when take- will technology finally be so all-encompassing that i just have it all got a mic in your face Come on, Elon. And a screen in your face. <sighs> I, I want my screen to be a face and my face to be a screen. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he makes New York, New York. Yeah. Uh, a musical that we could actually cover in a, as a regular episode of this show. Whoops. <laughs> uh, because, yeah, the reaction to it was not positive and it drove Marty into a depression. And also right. he was addicted to cocaine. Uh, but oh. he did make The Last Waltz, a concert movie that's great, really great. Yeah. Uh, but De Niro ruined all of that, the cocaine habit and the documentary career. <laughs> By what? getting him off coke and docks, oh. so that he could make Raging Bull, saving wow. his life in the process. Progress. Process? Both. Saving his life. Saving your life is generally considered progress. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, Scorsese thought that was going to be his last movie, so he put literally fucking everything in there, and it won him massive acclaim. A lot so, of coke. <laughs> it won him a lot of coke, mate, and that was what he was ultimately after. <laughs> so how the hell do you follow one of the most acclaimed movies you've ever made? King of Comedy. Make another one. But, you make uh, another one. You do a very <laughs> make one that people will only acknowledge after a good half decade, half century even. Yeah, and then, then it will be the cool guy's favorite Scorsese movie. Ah, yeah. Fuck yeah, cool guys like Nell. What's that noob? You fucking like Taxi Driver? Let me tell you about Rupert Pupkin. <laughs> Let me tell you a story about Rupert Pupkin. <laughs> Marty actually wanted firstly to retire first. That was number one preference, retire, spend more time with Coke. Yeah. Uh, because he hadn't found his inner peace yet. Oh. Um, yeah. And he failed to make that movie about Jesus with Robert De Niro in it that he wanted to make. And uh, De Niro didn't really want to do it. So <laughs> Didn't want to play Jesus. He, uh, he instead brought him a script uh, by Paul D. Zinnerman, okay. uh, the film critic, screenwriter, and activist who was a critic for Newsweek and wrote for Sesame Street. That's oh. the headspace that this came from. That's the Coke sign. That's Newsweek and Sesame Street, this. <sighs> so, yeah, it 
was meant to be directed by Michael Cimino, but uh, Cimino, sorry, but okay. he was busy ending the new wave of American cinema with Heaven's Gate. Oh, okay. Uh, oh no, the critics did it. No, no, they they didn't. <laughs> uh, Bob Fosse uh-huh. uh, was also considered with Andy Kaufman in the lead, which would have been intense and very sad in a different way. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Oh, he's actually he's actually kidnapped someone. Wow. Okay, that's. Uh... Huh. Well. Good, you know. good, good for the film. Publicity. Like the problem, get, getting a comedian to do, uh, you bring in a comedian to do a film about Great being a comedian job. and it's going to be, mm. it's just going to be sad. It's going to refract it upon itself in the prism, isn't it? And it's yeah. just going to be either funny people where the best bit is Eric Banner watching AFL and going, I hate that cunt, I hate that cunt, or mm. it's going to be. I mean, it could I turn know. into Jim Carrey playing Andy Kaufman in a sort of terrible recessive circle that fails to find an end yeah and whilst i whilst i just sort of think on that sentence tell me more about the king of comedy yes because was reluctant though not least because there was um about to be a writer's strike and yeah Uh, they sorted all of that shit out forever yep um a lot lot of things got sorted out in the aces and uh it's just been great ever since Hey, let's never let Hal 9000 write all of our dialogue. <laughs> okay, fucking Isaac Asimov. Oh, what oh. imagination this guy has. Oh, oh. crazy. Anyway. Oh, our future. <sighs> De Niro prepared for the role by chasing down his own autograph hunters and asking them incessant questions. See so, how oh, you fucking like it. And he and also it- met with one of his stalkers. That's the headspace Robert De Niro was in. Wow. That's, I, uh, yeah. The problem is, even though that, that that was, what, 40 years ago, I'm imagining him in The Irishman beating up that guy with his pants up around his armpits. <laughs> oh. um, <laughs> it's always was, been like that. He was a lithe 40-year-old man. He was. He absolutely was. Yeah, um, Scorsese sort of tells the story and recounts it, and you're kind of going along with it, like, oh, this is going to have a fun punchline or something, and it's just like, so why are you following me? And he's like, I just think you're interesting. Like, oh. Um, okay. It just kind of fizzles out and it's kind of sad. Oh. Like the King of Comedy, am I right? Ooh, <laughs> oh, God, I didn't actually watch prick. it. Prick. Yeah. Ooh, not yet. Uh, before casting Jerry Lewis in the role of the mm. talk show host, uh, they considered Johnny Carson, actual talk show host. Mm-hmm. Joey Bishop, I don't know. Orson Welles, I don't know. Mm. Uh, Dick Cavett, talk show host. Mm. The entire Rat Pack, including Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin. Wow. And then and, and Jerry Lewis. Oh, yeah. Why not? James Corden, obviously. Yeah, had a look in. Yeah. Had, did a screen test. Uh, he was found to be unviewable. Yeah. Not in a good, unknowable way. The literally couldn't pick him up Just, because yeah. he was moving at such supersonic, subhuman speeds. Is that funny? <laughs> Is that fucking funny, folks? Oh, oh. God, watch his fucking carpool Life. thing, if you don't believe us. Yes, uh, Lewis claimed that De Niro and Scorsese used method acting tricks, like using anti-Semitic slurs to rile him up between takes. Uh, <laughs> he's, he described making the film as a pleasurable experience. Oh, lovely. Well, I can't imagine it took that much to rile up Jerry Lewis. <laughs> well, you mean that much in general or that much in the way of anti-Semitic slurs? Because one will probably <laughs> do any. it. One will probably do it for, in terms of creating a bad atmosphere. But also, if you want a ba- bad atmosphere on set, you could just hire Jerry Lewis. <laughs> I don't know. Apparently, he's lovely, Aww. except for that one interview he did uh, where he was just the biggest prick. Oh, I don't but actually know about this. Context there. Oh, God, it's an infamous interview. Healthier, you know, does being sort of busy and engaged, do you think that actually helps you get get healthier? No. Do you think it hurts? Like, do you, do you think... No. You've been... Um, 
you've been coming to Vegas for a, a you've lived here for a while. You've been coming here for a long time. How is Vegas different for you than when you first came here? When was the first time you you performed in Vegas? Nineteen forty-seven. Well, can you tell me what what Vegas was like when you first showed up? It's not. It's the same. It's the, it's the same. Exactly the same. Well, my relationship with Jerry Lewis is that for the longest time I thought he was in Blazing Saddles, and then I realised it was Slim Pickens. Okay, right. And then that's then, quite different. And then I saw The King of Comedy. I've seen him in a few films. I've seen him in like the original Nutty Professor, oh, uh, where okay. he gave the performance that uh, Professor Frank was based on. Wow, there you go. Yeah, he's very big in France. I'm aware of that. Jerry Lewis yeah, or I, Professor I, Frank? That. <laughs> Both, mate. They fucking <laughs> love him. Um, yeah, critics felt ambivalent about The King of Comedy, uh, which was not at the time a criminal offence. Uh, Roger Ebert mm-hmm. commended the film, saying, Martin Scorsese's The King of Comedy is one of the most arid, painful, wounded movies I've ever seen. It's hard to believe Scorsese made it. Instead of the big city life, the violence and sexuality of his movies like Taxi Driver and Mean Streets, what we have here is an agonising portrait of lonely, angry people with their emotions all tightly bottled up. Mm. Yeah. He just wanted to, and, and then Roger Ebert went out with his six shooter and just lived his best life. You know, he now, can't relate to it. He can't relate to this bottling up of what could be handled on the streets. Now I'll be Travis Bickle. I forget the name of the guy. Is it yeah, Travis? okay, <coughs> that's the guy from uh, fucking Taxi Driver. Fuck yeah, films. I remember him. Um, <laughs> did films, films, films. So was that a was that a, like a three star review from Roger Ebert or? Uh, well, he's, he's still, uh, st- he stars movies out of four. It could have been. I'm not okay. sure. Okay. A 2.5 star one then, because he's a fucking <laughs> no. mad dog. That, um, his review alone does not bespeak the ambivalence. The ambivalence, for ambivalence, uh, I've got Pauline Kale. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah. For contrast, who was an early advocate of Scorsese, but took issue with this film writing. In Raging Bull, De Niro and Scorsese had things boiled down so that Jake's entire career was the chip on his shoulder. This time, there's no chip. So basically just that this guy's an inexplicable asshole rather than oh. a slowly is, established and built up asshole. But it's a different flavour of asshole. Is I I would say, like I'm not an expert in in the chips beyond the chips on my own shoulders. But what I thought I felt a chip that wasn't mine. Well, it seemed like, yes, I think, well, yeah. It's a chip in as much of wanting reward without earning it. I think is the ultimate chip. The chip I, on his shoulder is that he feels like the world owes him an opportunity that he hasn't earned. I guess, and and I also got like a, 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 there's a societal chip on his shoulder. I think a cultural. Well, I mean, there's stuff about his family in there yeah. in the in the stand-up bit he did. Although you don't know how real that is because he says his mum's dead, but his mum ain't dead. She's no. yet, oh wait, unless oh you never see the mum or oh, <gasps> hashtag never see the mum. <laughs> hashtag Ghost. release a butthole mum. Um. <laughs> God, but, I love the butthole man. But I think he's got a social. I think he's got a socio, socio cultural chip on his shoulder as well. And maybe the reason oh. uh, Pauline Quayle didn't see that was because of the mm. anti-Semitic insult she was yelling at Jerry Lewis. Well, quite possibly. But that's a pretty bold thing to yell at one of the greatest film critics ever lived. Nevertheless, I'm just doing I it. Support your right up. to do it. Yeah, I support it in a gassy kind of way. <laughs> The best kind of way. The only way that we can do it sympathetically now is white middle class men. The only way I can do it at the moment. Oh, at least he's ill. <laughs> anyway, more more explanation on why I'm so ill in uh, the Patreon, folks. Yeah, that's right, patrons. Lucky you. <laughs> Thanks for your money. Public, meanwhile. 
<laughs> Public, meanwhile, feel it is better to be king for a night than a schmuck for a lifetime. Nice. Jim Hui on mm. Google said, different gear, top film, funny, weird, and interesting. Bob, as always, delivers. Bob. Dark, different, and it's certainly entertaining. Scorsese, sh- Scorsese shoots, and he's scored on this one. Well, well worth watching twice, three times, four <laughs> times, again and again. Let the, ta- let the good times roll and keep it going, Martin S. Top man. Top, top filmmaker. A legend that will live forever. And I'm sure you will. The best always do. Peace and love, brother. The wow. be- only the bad people die more. <clears throat> That's what we've learned in this world. Just think of a, just think of a death and, and like first thought, best thought, and just rest assured yeah. that you can go, hmm, bad person. Yeah. Uh, well, makes you wonder what Jesus got up to. We'd have found out we'd have if f- only Robert De Niro hadn't been such a wuss God and had played damn. him. If only Bob hadn't been such a wuss. Hey, Bob, how's it going? <laughs> who the fuck? Who the fuck is this guy? And then he just shoots him. <laughs> Wasn't Robert De Niro like though. It didn't sound anything like him. I don't, I don't like calling me Bob. Yeah. <laughs> There was a lot of good. There was a good Robert De Niro, a lot of good Robert De Niro breathing in this. And, uh, I did a lot of De Niro facing. Yeah, that I thought was uh, relatively good, but um, the actual impression, like you know, Sarah Fenwick does a good De Niro. Yeah, because he know, gets his that acting thing down. You don't, um, you don't, you don't have to say me, um, Al Pacino. Why wouldn't you say me? <laughs> it's got, it's too Brando. I can't. Ugh. Yeah, I know. Well, we're not Peter Sarah Fenwick, and we never will be. No, but not I, with that attitude. But I think I can do his face. Yeah, that's pretty good. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good face, folks. It's <laughs> devastating, as always, that this is a uh, visual medium. This is an audio medium. Yeah. Um, and, and we don't know the difference between the two words. That's the main problem. There's the main problem and the reason why this hasn't been syndicated yet. Oh, uh, this is one of Akira Kurosawa's favourite films. Wow! Ooh! Look. Spoiler alert, uh, everyone. It's quite good. Yeah, because he was, you know, he was getting up there in 1980, whatever right I said there. it was when this movie came out, 82, and uh, saw one of his favourite films that late. Can happen to any of you. Happen <sighs> to you right now. I mean, you keep checking out my top 30 list. We'll revisit it one day. It's going to be full of films from the last yeah. few years. I have no memory. I have no long-term memory. <laughs> Absolutely, guys. Recency bias. It's only a problem if you ever go back. <laughs> it's only a problem It's only a problem if, if uh, you disagree with it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the film has 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, 7.8 on IMDb, 83% again. Oh no, it was a different number I said. Let's try again. The film ah, has it. 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, 7.8 on IMDb, 83% on Google, and was a box office bomb when it came out, but has since become recognised of one of Sco- as one of Scorsese's very best, except by Pauline Kale. So, Paul, you little old Ed Hurley. Um... Mom! <laughs> What's one thing about King of Comedy that made you want to say hello to Jerry? It was it was Nail's constant state of horror um, from beginning to end of that movie. <laughs> Finally, yeah. I got to see uh, I got to see a movie. I got to see a movie with social awkwardness that made her cringe more than me. I would really love to hear that as just an audio commentary. It's it was a me. Track of Nail just. Oh God! It was it, well. Re- remember how no. I. It, it was how. Do you remember how I looked like my whole world was ending when we were watching All My Friends Hate Me? Oh, yeah. It was that, but without the subsequent uh, um, panic attack. She bounces back quick. She's old Nell. She's, she's a she, trooper. She's a lovely, resilient broad. 
and um <laughs> oh man what a dame but so it was mostly the atmosphere in our room whilst watching the movie was me turning around and going this is fucking Sweaty. amazing and nell just going mm. <laughs> even though good old she agreed oh yeah well you have to agree with that sort of thing especially when it gets right up in you Oh, yeah. Well, let's talk about it getting all up in us. Go let's on. talk about the beginning of this here, this here movie because mm. we've got a great talk show man called Jerry Lewis. <laughs> the pronunciation over the S, so you know it's not. You know it's fiction. Ah, oh, and okay. um, he's leaving the recording studio. Where he's about to be mobbed by all the people who just absolutely fucking love a Jonathan Ross type. Well, you can imagine it with James Corden, so I can imagine it yeah. with uh, Jerry oh, Lewisford. One day he's got to hire some security. I'm just saying it would help. It would help with getting Sandra Bernhardt out of his car and uh, he wouldn't have to rely on Robert De Niro's uh, in order, uh, De Niroing the crowd yeah. in order to get him into his car and away. But on this occasion, he does. He does. He has to. You have to hope that the least dangerous of your weirdos is the one that prevails. Ex- what are the odds of that? Well, you know, let's find out, I say. Um yeah. You know, they eventually get Sandra Bernhardt out and Robert De Niro just ends up in the car with Jerry Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah. Yeah, it's Jerry Lee Lewis. Yep. And he gives him, gives him his elevator pitch as to why he's going to be great and it's yeah. going to be great. I just want to tell you, Jerry, my name is Rupert Pupkin and uh, I know the name doesn't mean very much to you, but it means an awful lot to me. Uh, Billy, calm down. Calm down. I'll take your time. Uh, uh, you might have wondered who I am. I've been outside your show many, many times. And, uh, well, you know, I'm in communications right now, but by nature, and this is the point I'm trying to make, by nature, I'm a comedian, you know? No, no, I know what you're going to say. I don't know another one. But I'm, uh, believe me, Jerry, I'm very good. I'm really good. I'm dynamite. And I wouldn't go through this. I wouldn't take one minute of your time if I wasn't absolutely convinced that I'm dynamite. So you're probably wondering now, yeah, if he's so good, then how come he hasn't caught my act somewhere, right? Well, that's a very good question, and I'm willing to answer it, and I'll tell you why. You know why? And, and um, oh god, he's thirty-four years old. What a loser! Oh my god, I can't relate to this. What an absolute fucking loser! Still. Too late to make a fresh start now. Still, how many friends does yeah. he have? Not many. Just, just one. <laughs> I've got, I've got double that, mate. I've got easily double that, and only one of them is as scary as Sandra Bernhardt. <laughs> no real riches to speak of, but um, still got my health. Wait, that fucking worked? It never worked for me. This is... Bu- oh, wait. Yeah, that's right. This movie has dream sequences. That's yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, uh, never mind what I just said. This is unrelatable and I've never tried to do anything like this. <laughs> Look, it worked for Mark Care mode. It just... You, you <laughs> can't be blamed for showing up at timeout and never leaving, even when they get the security there with their guns. But, I'm um, recording that now, mate. Oh. One day it's going to work out. But... but, <sighs> it, but yeah, so it is a dream sequence, the uh, the yes. a daydream sequence of Robert De Niro, of Bob's, uh, that he's yeah. now talking to J- to Jerry Lewis, and uh, he's Jerry Lewis he- is asking Bob Rupert Pupkin for a favor, and they're all Bob, they're all Bob. Bob is asking Bob if he could do him a favor and come and host six weeks of his show, but he's yeah. just not going to do it. And he's busy. Good old Bob, he uh, he delivers an even more frightening version of the taxi driver speech on his own. <laughs> You're always telling me to think. That's all I do is think day and night about it. How can I not think about it? I mean, I've been sitting here at lunch with you, which I knew was the reason you invited me for in the first place, and all I'm sitting here and eating for is to get guilty with you, right? I'm asking you to take over the show for six weeks. I mean, what's six weeks? I'll give you anything, but don't ask me to do six weeks. I can't take over the show for six weeks. I can't even take over my own life for six weeks. And you're asking me to do something that's impossible. It's impossible. Don't you understand? What? 
I'm trying to tell you that. What do you want? You want the tears to come out of my eyes? It's very good. What this ghost mom yells at him from above? <laughs> this ghost, not ghost mum, Bob. Uh, and, <laughs> and 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 yeah, this uh, <laughs> uncomfortable yet? Well, here comes the rest. Well, Jerry, um, sorry, Jerry Bob. He uh, mm. Jerry Bob Thornton. He gets a uh, a threatening phone call from Sandra Bernhardt, interrupting mm. his act, his evening activity of dinner and dog. I mean, we all love <sighs> a dinner and dog. Man. And we all love dinner and dog, and she interrupts it, and it's terrible because she's in love with him, yeah, uh, in a way that is not is not great. Not ideal. We've we've all done it. We've been on both sides. Yeah, you know? we've been there I'll on look. the moors, looking out at the the moor waters with our dog and thinking, oh There's god, always... looking forward to dinner. I hope a Sandra Bernhardt doesn't show up. But we've also been Sandra Bernhardt and thinks they're always out the moors with a fucking dog. What if I killed them and buried them? Then yeah. then what? Look, there's Hello? always a moment where you on? suddenly realise that actually you love that person more than they love you. But that's when I unload the shotgun and go home. <laughs> well, that's when I introduce Algorithm Week. <laughs> <laughs> and you win them back over, folks. Oh, Welcome back. It. You bloody did it, mate. Um, oh, good. We get to see him go on a date. This will be smooth. And all that leads in one direction, Rita. Hollywood. A beach house in Malibu right on the ocean. And we'll keep a suite at the Sherry. Everybody stays there when they make it big. Way up top so we can look down at everybody and yell, Hey, tough luck, suckers. <laughs> Better luck next time. Come on, what do you say? It sounds wonderful, Rupert. I wish you the best of luck, you know. But it's getting late and I'm a working girl. I gotta go home. I, I don't get you. Here I am offering you a way out. <sighs> Rita, every king needs a queen. I want you to be mine. And he does this whilst an absolute murderer sees the date and decides he can um, sort of just wait and step in after this guy inevitably kills himself. And a deleted scene in which that guy does try and pick up his date, uh, cut, and now that guy's just a dude in the back of scene. <laughs> okay, cool. I, I, I wondered. and but oh, yeah. uh... You're likely to wonder, mate. He's very prominently in the shot. <laughs> I often wonder about people but... who are in shots. Oh, God, yeah. He's even more distracted than the Sex and the City 2 coffee guy. What with him mimicking the actions of the guy in the in the scene. <laughs> That's distracting. It is, and I, and I, but, and I try not to, to worry about distractions too much, especially because a lot of them can, can have real-world consequences. But f- fortunately, yeah. Bobby, for Bob, old Bobby De Niro... Uh, oh, Bobbins. It doesn't really matter what's going on in front of him, because yeah. he believes... So he's, he's, sh- he's showing his date, Diane Abbott, MP for Hackney and Stoke yeah. Newington, the, yes. um, all the auto- autographs that he's hunted. And the final one is an autograph oh, of him. He doesn't tell her that, though. Ah. He makes a guess. And then, and, then when, oh. and when he finally reveals who it is, Paul, she's very impressed. She's extremely impressed. Yeah. So he drops her off, yeah. and here's the inevitable sigh of relief that he understands means wow. call me immediately. <laughs> Just bloody so. wow, mate. What a guy. Just bloody wow. Yeah. So he, he decides to celebrate the successful date by calling Jerry a few times, but he struggles with the subtle niceties of uh, phrases like, fuck off, please. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. See you tomorrow, uh, bro. Mm. Yeah. Great. He, uh, he also tries to make use of a phone booth and actual Mel Gibson, I won't hear that that's not him, comes up in order to try and use the phone <laughs> uh, and has to be deterred, which is uh, a terrible blow to a man already in the full swing of his career. And far too famous to be doing a cameo in this movie, but nevertheless, that's definitely him. Do they bring Look him up. in? That's him. Do they bring him in to yell anti-Semitic insults at Jerry Lewis? 
did it for free. <laughs> we're outsourcing. We're getting a, cons- a consultant in, an expert in this field. <laughs> oh, God almighty. So, yeah, I'm... He tries his luck by just showing up at the office, and uh, this is why I will only ever send one email to anyone, literally anyone, before I never message them again. When I left Sight and Sound, Aww. they honestly said to me, oh, chasers, if you haven't heard from us from a bit. No, I'll never do that. Aww. If it, if it were me, I'll I'd... never send a second email that will be like, hey, haven't heard from you, just wanted to check that, you know. No. no. Well, it's, it's, no. A, it's all about how you word it, and admittedly, no. as a second email man, I still haven't got that bit down. I, I will word it in a way that is, is very um, obviously, hey, you haven't emailed me back. Are you going to do that? But it's, you know, it's phrased in that sort of... Yeah. Did it, maybe the email didn't come through. I, oh, maybe there are other reasons that I'm passively, aggressively, passive-aggressively suggesting. Hello? Hello? Oh, Hello? It always feels very aggressively towards me. Mm. Hi, it's that guy you hate. That um fucking idiot. Oh, just checking if there was any reason whatsoever... Other than the fact that you hate me, that I haven't heard from you. <laughs> nope. Nope. Okay, great. great, great. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you say, that only leaves the one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah of course. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. cool All right, cool. bye. Bye. Oh. I'll be at your house later. <laughs> I'll be the guy with his cock out. For stardom. <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll spot me. You will spot me. So, yeah, he, try, he tries his luck just showing up. Yeah. Um, and he gets an absurdly good outcome from uh, his batshit behavior. Uh, but that's not enough for him. So he pushes harder and gets an even fucking better one. It's just still somehow <laughs> yeah. beyond him. Because it's gone from get a job in a club and we'll send someone to see you to literally audition for us and we'll we'll survey it and I'll give you feedback, which might be still blowing him off. I would, I, but I, nevertheless, I, yeah, that's a hell of an in. It's still blowing him off, but it is a hell of an in, um, and it's just show you how fast sociopathy can get you. <laughs> Come on, guys, you've seen Nightcrawler. <laughs> it works. Get all the way to the top. It works. So being a sociopath, yeah, it works, bitches. Do it. Just do it. It's easy. Just be decide. Just do it. Just decide to be a sociopath. Invade somebody's privacy. They'll yeah. remember you. Just pretend that you're doing a podcast in real life and that they're your valued listener. Yeah. Works for us. So he goes home and he makes a, an audition tape that is reminiscent of the one the Joker made. No, I don't mean in the movie Joker. I mean the one in The Dark Knight where he just kills that dude. <laughs> it's that <laughs> level of... That level of engagement, of, uh, of hijinks <laughs> oh, that you're getting Christ. Here. Oh man, I um, thought the Joker was a film. Yeah, I didn't think of it once. Didn't think of it once during this. That's funny because I'm always well, thinking of the Joker. I'm always thinking of Joker. Oh yeah, I'm always uh, doing that Gary Glitter song and dancing down staircases. That's it. But, yeah, uh, I can love that. There moment. was no need during this. I was so invo- invo- involved. That's it. Yeah. Um, he imagines some more crazy shit uh, for a while, and then <laughs> yeah. yeah, he gets more unbelievably good feedback from the show. Uh, but doesn't want to do that, so he decides to get nuts. Let's get nuts, folks. <laughs> well, the feedback is, I, I would say, a blow off, um, and and maybe this 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 tells you, you <laughs> your your priorities and your sense of defeatism and why you're not actually at timeout, just um, or you know, sight and sound offices with your cock out pressed up against the window, saying, "Hey, why don't you just give me more work?" <laughs> because it's, de- I, I'd say it's a blow off because she says, "Hey, this is great. This is really really great." However, no. <laughs> Well, you've got to develop your material more. Yeah. So you there away. are some clubs you can try. These yeah. ones, I think she names them. Go try yeah. these clubs and see if you can get better. And then yeah. once, I, I think she even leaves the door open. She says, once you've um, worked on it for a bit, let us know and we'll send a scout. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, we'll it's send like, a scout. Fucking hell. But it's all, yeah. We'll send a fucking scout. It's, it's, a, it's an arm's length. Yeah, I guess that was a thing back in the day when it wasn't just about. It was a bloody thing. You couldn't just YouTube it. 
couldn't just YouTube it and Ugh. then just get exploited. You had to send somebody out there to exploit them. Just- Nevertheless, he decides at this point it's good to go loud. We're going loud, folks. Stealth's off the uh, mm-hmm. stealth's off the table. Um, in fact, oh, thank God he's being escorted out. Oh no, he's been encouraged back in by a Sandra Bernhardt. No. Why would that security guard have left? Where is he? What is more important than observing this man until he's literally dead? Lunch break, mate. He's oh, union. Oh, fuck, he's union. He's union. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's out of here. You're not going to hear from him again for at least 30 minutes. He takes an hour 15 for lunch, mate. He just spends yeah. it sitting around picking his ass. <laughs> so eventually they managed to wrestle him out. Jesus Christ, he got a second date? Fucking hell, the things that you can get if you just ask people and are insane. Yeah, which one of those, um, which one of those traits don't we possess, listeners at home? <laughs> Find out. Engage with us socially. <laughs> uh, where's he going to take her though? Somewhere not insane, I hope. Ah, oh, to Jerry's house. Okay, cool. cool. Yeah. Cool, 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 cool. And uh, that again plays out way better than I think it should because I think it should end with the sound of gunshots and then an ambulance. <laughs> well, I was worried that the sound of gunshots was going to be coming from a gun that Rupert Pumpkin owned. And, That's and, true, you know, and it was going to be like funny games. Rupert. All of a sudden, ah, he's but a it, silly guy. Yeah, this time it seems like he finally got the message. So now he's going to be normal. So they kidnap Jerry. Yeah, and uh, with force him to get Pumpkin on the air. Yeah, well, yeah. the government well, that uh, Sandra Bernhardt has, along with a very That's fancy true. apartment. That's true. She's she's got money, which come with guns in the states. Oh yeah, well you know you got to sweeten the deal somehow. Um, and they do. Yeah. <laughs> We're never going to get rid of this place on Madison Avenue. Put an M4 under the bed. Yeah, and so they honestly probably <laughs> few. Uh, it's a house for Bob. Um, but yeah, they get they get Jerry there. But oh no, both Bob and Sandy have different uh, uh, motivations for having him taped up to a chair. Um, so they argue for a Indeed. bit. Sandra Bernhardt starts um, giving you a taste of what's coming, and oh, uh, pissed. Uh, and... Hint, hint. It's Sandra. <laughs> Um, and, <laughs> and maybe that's where we leave it ooh. for the folks at home to find out what happens to Jerry strapped to a chair. I forgot that we do Nothing that because good. I was observing myself going through this plot recap and thinking, <laughs> okay, your body. your recall is um, below par, like subpar today. Oh. I, I wonder why. Because I I look, I fucking love this film. Why am I struggling to remember it? And it's because. All of the the incidents that happen throughout the movie, they're not they're not episodes. They're not like separate incidents. No. It's just one. It's more like a slope. Con- yeah, it's one continuous inferno, uh, <laughs> ever increasing. And it was very hard yeah. to pick out those specific moments because it is it's just an, an horrendous uh, like telling of the gains of a sociopath. <laughs> Fuck the me. Games of a Sociopath, the original title of The King of Comedy. <laughs> tune in now. It's yeah, That's right. Tune into the TV channel that carries <laughs> the uh, King of Comedy at all times. Channel 5, I've got it. Uh, there probably is one on Samsung TV+. Plus. Um, and yeah, find out what happens to Sandra Bernhardt, Rupert Pupkin, and a crazy little dog. That dog doesn't show it back up again. Spoilers. Sorry. Oh, okay. Well, We don't find out what happens to the dog. Well, I don't know what to tell you, mate. Bloody love. Well, dogs. you can tell me how you found King of Comedy for one thing. Oh, okay. I thought it was fucking incredible. Uh, it, yeah, it's so good. It's it's amazing. I obviously I'd, I'd known about the movie, and I'd mm. the more the most I'd heard about King of Comedy, other than like knowing it exists, is mm. that Joker was supposedly derivative of it, and just um, mm. <laughs> ever so slightly. Uh, and <laughs> I I've got to say, I didn't know Scorsese had this in him. 
I, I didn't know he had it after after watching, you know, all of his his gang movies, you know, all of his um, Ray Liotta and uh, Bobby De Niro movies, and then going on yeah. to watch something like Silence, which for ninety five percent I loved, and then there was uh-huh. just five minutes of kind of uh, po faced. Um, religious expression that I found just just too far too sincere for my liking. Um, not 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 the religiousness of it, just the the way it was done was rough. I'm thinking of the Jesus, the Jesus on the um, of course talking to yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> um. But I even without silence and some of his later movies, I didn't know he had such a um slick black comedy in him and a lot of that is down to Robert De Niro who is just unreal he's incredible in this especially Mm. again after decades of the this like Robert De Niro character that he almost is um yeah in and of himself to to have this like this cinched physicality whilst also being Mm. the most overbearing monster um that you've ever met yeah, just just amazing, a pitch perfect performance. Um, yeah, no, you, I'll, I'll leave leave it there for now and um, like yeah, start a conversation. Yeah, it is a big departure for uh, De Niro, I think, who mm. who really gives it a sort of very weaselly kind of air, which I always enjoy seeing from the sort of big tough men. Yeah, you know, like you've got uh, it's like Humphrey Bogart and the tre- uh, Treasure of Sierra Madre. It's fun to see them play despicable mm. and kind of pitiful. Um, I always think that's quite fun because obviously. You know, Jake LaMotta from Raging Bull is very pitiful, you know, yeah. just a really just uh, fraught kind of um, pathetic kind of character in a different way, in a very yeah. sort of macho alpha kind of way. Yeah. Um, and it's fun to watch a character who's very different, but is still possessed of that Paul Schrader-esque self-confidence, yeah. but it's just completely unearned in this case. Yeah. Because, you know, with Taxi Driver, he has he does have the secret weapon, which is his capacity for violence, which Pupkin yeah. kind of has, but mm. it just grows out of this absolute disconnect from reality mm. that he has. Um, yeah, which just is such a fascinating motivator for a character. Yeah, and like in that physicality, there's something self-effacing mm. about it. Um, where like oh, he, yeah. he he's very he he keeps like all of his gestures, his and unless he's trying to like shake someone's hand which he loves yeah. to do and like hold on to way longer than is comfortable for anyone but so much of the yeah. time when he's conducting himself in front of people that he's trying to make a good impression on he's 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 got this weird etiquette where he's almost um where like he he comes across as quite submissive but the things he's yes. saying uh, like a yes. steamroller of of arrogance and and completely misplaced confidence in himself so yeah, it's, it's quite... you see that when he's dealing with the authorities at the end. Yeah, when he just is just completely possessed and um, confident in his plan. There's no moment of self doubt to Rupert Pupkin, and that's yeah fascinating. But there's also something absolutely intoxicating about his his um, friendship, kind of his relationship with Sandra Bernhardt. Mm. And because in those moments, you almost feel like this is the true him. Yeah. Because the artifice slips away. He's not trying to impress anyone and he yeah. is just talking earnestly and yeah. having these wonderfully pathetic arguments yeah. with with her that just boil down to things like semantics, like siblings yeah. fighting in a way that is yeah. just really natural and a lot of fun. Robert, I gotta talk to you for a bit. Wait, what happened last night? Car- Jerry Sanders? Nothing happened. Did he talk about me? No, he didn't talk about you. He talked about me as a matter of fact. 
must have said something about me. I didn't say anything about you. What's he gonna say about you after what you did in the car last night? I couldn't believe it. And you must be really loving this yeah. movie, huh? You were schmucko supremo last Hold night. Hold on a minute. I'm the schmuck me. Oh, you're wrong, you're really buddy. Crazy. You're very wrong. Yeah. Because what? if I hadn't gotten in that car last night, you never even had the chance to talk to Jerry. Keep that in mind, what? okay? Yes. Listen, I don't want to be cruel, but really, we're in front of Jerry's building. God forbid he should see me with you, because Jerry and I have a real relationship going. You know what I mean? No fantasy world. You know what I'm talking about? And after what you did last night, I don't even want to see you anymore. You hear? I don't want to see you. Bye. Bye. I gotta go. There, there are those moments as you say, when his guard is down, that he is, mm. I mean, the extent... He's yelling at his mum. Yeah, yeah. The extent of his sort of self-centeredness. You know, he, yeah. he he lives in a him-centric world, and we all do to an extent, but he really fucking does. He, like, he's yeah. only... <clears throat> he, to, to me, you know, he, he's this guy that is brought up... And, and, and fuck me, the opening scene with Jerry Lewis getting into his car and being mobbed by people, and then Sandra Bernhardt oh, being yeah. there and screaming... Fuck me, does this feel prescient, Paul? Um, and I imagine it felt oh, more and more prescient as, uh, you know, each decade passed. Um, <clears throat> it's <laughs> La Dolce Vita, La Dolce Vita, the king of comedy. <laughs> and now today. Yeah, but I mean, this has always been a constant. I mean, the Beatles yeah. were making movies about this in the 60s. It's true. always been this bizarre fascination with um, celebrities that mm. has always bordered on the unhealthy. True. Uh, again, Elias Kazan but, faces in the crowd as well yeah. touched upon <clears throat> this. There's just... Yeah. I, yeah, I I think the acuteness nowadays is is the, is the how well connected we all are to everything else that happens mm. in the world. So it feels like it, it's the same level of intensity, but uh, you know you can be forgiven for thinking it's uh, more ubiquitous than it's ever been. Even even if, as you say, you know it's 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 been a part of culture, you know, especially celebrity culture for a long time. But anyway, the um, it, yeah, he's he's this guy who is just. He, like raised whether or yeah you don't know if his routine is true about his parents um yeah but it doesn't really it, matter really no well it, it strikes me as like the parents may, maybe either had a like played a negative part or played very little part in his upbringing because he's been formed by um you know formed by this society or and, and this this sort of uh uh what's the word or culture of celebrity and culture of personality, yeah. um, and like it, it does feel like a, it's 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 a strange like spiritual cousin to the Dolce Vita of. I was just trying to remember which uh, observations from the Night Never Sleeps and which from the King of Comedy made me think of fascism, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, both both did uh, in different mm. ways. Um, yeah, and he's just this this guy who just is has been raised to believe that he can achieve what he wants yeah. to achieve by being being a personality and like the personality is so big and so so on the sleeve that it's it's barely a personality at all it's just a series of series of lies he tells himself and other people and it's sure. it does that amazing thing of <clears throat> being so surreal and and so crazy that it's also hyper real and and, and it there's, there's there's a truth to it i you know i've met people who conduct themselves like this and you mm. do watch them um you know i used to work with somebody who was similar who would t honestly talk in in a similar way and you'd look at him mm. interacting with other people and think what the fuck is going on why is he so like well liked why does everybody like him 
But then you talk to everybody and they go, oh, no, he's a fucking dick. He's, um, <laughs> he's a horrible person. Mm. We just sort of put up with him. Um, mm. and, it, and it... Yeah. It takes... It's, it's pre- this movie's pretty amazing for being, like, the, what happens when people just give them the space and give in to just make them stop, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think we are invited to relate to Pupkin as well. You know, he's not just this kind of, you know, terrible villainous character. He is, you know, a guy who has been raised on television who... Yeah wants to excel and wants to have what he has seen on television but without putting in the work without actually mm. you know engaging really with the craft because comedy mm. is not necessarily the thing that interests him it is a means to an end of sort of becoming a validated person mm. um and he just lacks any of the sort of barriers yeah that we might place between ourselves and just going up to the people who have the thing that we think we want and demanding it and mm. insisting that we have it as well because you know, we feel that we deserve it. And consequently, yeah. it is a very painful thing to watch mm. um, because you are just imagining yourself in that position and sort of being invited to sort of relate to the sort of uh, societal rejection of it. Yeah, I didn't relate to him. Um, wow. Don't make me sound like a psychopath. I just, <laughs> I just didn't. I, just... I, I, like, I, I can, I, I, I felt way more sympathy for Jerry Lewis, for Jerry Langford sure. in this. I, yeah. I felt so sorry for him. Um, just the, the constant invasion of privacy. Um, yeah. And I could, yeah, as I said, you know, we're, we're overlapping in the way he was raised and, you know, you can't, it's, it's not his fault that this is a society that he was born into and maybe, you know, with stronger parent figures, who knows? Uh, mm. But at the same time, I did just want him to go away. So I didn't actually cringe or find it as uncomfortable as I thought I might, especially seeing how I reacted to all my friends hate me. This was just, yeah. um, he was the, he was the problem. I know like society generally was the problem, but more acutely in the moment, <laughs> I found him the problem. So I was um, all too happy. It's as you said, like just relief when he's finally kicked out of that, <laughs> that office. Sure. You, you yeah. that sure sounded like um, you think I'm. Well, I mean, I disagree. Being a monster. No, it's not that. I'm disagreeing with you. Yeah. Okay. Like I, I do believe that Scorsese almost always, even when he makes stuff like Wolf of Wall Street, he wants to invite yeah. us to sort of place ourselves to within. No, I'm not saying these characters and empathize with them. No, I'm not saying as fact that he didn't invite us to sympathize with him. I just didn't. That's just that's like my personal feeling. I didn't. I'm I'm sure he yeah. I even said, you know, he, as this guy who is raised in this society, um, something that is completely out of his control. Obviously, you know, I'm not blaming him for. Well, it's not necessarily about blame or about backstory or anything like that, or is sort of, you know, why he is this way, you know, because understanding why somebody does a certain thing doesn't necessarily lend itself to, you know, empathizing with them or sort of having that yeah. kind of, you know, character reinforcement. It's just about whether or not the actions are in and of themselves relatable. And I think his desire to get ahead in the world yeah. and his inability to understand the correct ways of doing it mm. are something that we're encouraged to find sympathetic, even if what he then does is the yeah. sort of ghastly further thing. No, I agree with that, you. You know, I agree right. with you completely. I'm, I'm not just, I'm just saying that, my personal reaction 
like my emotional reaction to his character was was that I just needed him to go. So I, I didn't really feel any sympathy for him uh, during the movie. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. It's just that my reaction to him was was different. Okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, Scorsese just... I, I've, I've seen, I believe, everything now of Scorsese's. And just mm. in this period, he is doing such interesting things in terms of trying to break away from a mold that he's only really created in two movies, Mean mm. Streets and Taxi Driver. Maybe a little Raging Bull as well of these sort of complicated tough Macho guys. thing, yeah. The macho thing. And he's already made Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore and mm. New York, New York. And then after this, he's going to make After Hours, Color of Money. Yeah. And then he is going to make his Jesus movie with The Last Temptation of Christ. Yes. Before, you know, making Goodfellas to sort of return to, you know, the earlier archetypes. So, you know, he, he has, he has always been a director who has been so interested in telling a diverse set of stories, um, mm. potentially has struggled to do so. So I think one of the delights of this movie is just seeing him sort of take his kind of interest in society's oddballs and yeah. sort of quirky other characters, take it to a different place and explore an entirely different kind of loner mm. um, and an entirely different kind of outcast and sort of explore, yeah, their drives and their ambitions and their ultimately fascinating but dangerous um, actions, which is definitely something that he did indeed sort of pick up mm. or at least get inspired by, you know, with Fellini and his habit of doing the same. So extremely good stuff and speaks to a lot of his sort of interests. Yeah. Yeah. The societal <clears throat> aspects of this were just, uh, was just, uh, just, I was just marveling at the, the pure horror of it all, like what, what's been created, mm. like his singular self-interest, the, the, like the way he, mm. uh, you know, impacts other people and like invades their lives is is just yeah. pure chaos at times. Like when he's invading the office, um, oh yeah, and, and just walking, it, it felt it was thrilling because of how, um, it, it just he wasn't following the rules. <laughs> no, 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 like, no courtesy, no etiquette. It, it was just his self interest, and it was thrilling and threatening and. Every time he did that, it just got a little bit worse. And, and yeah, some, something that came out as the film went on, which was like the most difficult, upsetting aspect of it for me, and probably like the, um, like the time when I, uh, my guard did come down enough to, you know, sympathise with Rupert Pupkin was this state of pseudo relating that the entertainment business, uh, sort of sits in. This this mm. this way of being that you know he's been taught that he believes he should strive for and has like come to embody in himself it's like the the imagining that uh that chat show where he gets uh married yes <laughs> um the 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 pseudo relating like the surface level um like the way the surface level nature of a chat show is gonna like give you the illusion of relating but it's it's for entertainment purposes. Um, like he's just, yeah, he, he's just the embodiment and the product of all of this. And it's just left me with that, the, the same feeling I had when the paparazzi are, um, you know, crowding around starlets in the Dolce Vita, just a, a similar sort of feeling of me just being under the ice watching society. And, Looking at Rupert Pupkin and just thinking, yeah, he didn't stand a chance. But yeah, no, yeah. I just, 
I just I loved it. I I love the King of Comedy. Yeah. I think it's so it's so insightful and incisive and smart. And it's um it was I'm I'm curious how people misunderstood it or or how people didn't quite get it because it's pretty on the nose. Yeah. It, yeah. Like I would say Starship Troopers, you know, I guess you could be you could be forgiven given the the fact it was the nineties, but if you really didn't think about it too much, it could just be an action, a bad action movie. But King of Comedy is pretty, it's pretty overt about what it is. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious about why it bombed. Was it just people yeah. were expecting yeah. something more uh, typically macho and, um, and, and violent from Scorsese and didn't come to watch a black comedy? Potentially. Mm. Um, potentially, yeah, there was this sense there wasn't a, a sort of big dramatic action movie in there for, or, mm. you know, I mean, as a black comedy, I don't know how well it sort of plays as a comedy. Mm. It has a lot of sort of cringe humor kind of thing, which maybe didn't mm. really carry very well in terms of word of mouth. Okay. Um, and black comedy can be a very tricky thing to get right, although True. I do think this film very much manages it, but yeah. perhaps it was a little too nuanced for um, for the sort of, you know, broadsheets and such. But yeah. Yeah, it could be that. It could be expectation. It could be that this is his first sort of out and out comedy. Even Alice doesn't live here anymore. It's a, more of a drama, mm. a lighthearted one potentially, or a melodramatic one. But it's still much more serious fare than this. Yeah. Um. Yeah. De Niro playing against type might have turned some people off. Um. Yeah. Mm. It's it's hard to say. Or maybe it was just bad timing. Maybe they yeah. um, messed up the releasing. Or yeah. You know whatever else. I mean, Kale for her part, reading it just sounds like she wasn't impressed. Like she felt there wasn't the depth to the character yeah. that De Niro. Ironically, that De Niro didn't um invite enough opportunity to sort of have a way in and sort mm. of see the soul of the character mm. um, was one of the things that she mentioned compared to, you know, Jake LaMotta and Travis Bickle. Yeah. So, you know, that could have been an issue. Um, mm. Yeah. Just a matter of opinion, really. But yeah, for whatever reason it missed, but plenty mm. of great movies do. Yeah. And think... this kind of movie as well, kind of dark thing. I wonder how, I can't, I don't know how well Nightcrawler did, for example. Yeah, you know, that's in terms true. Of a modern similar film. It's, it can be a bit of a tough sell, a sort of gritty you know, hard, hard truths about your society kind of movie. Yeah. I guess it's, um, you know, the, the idea of it being the right time is, you know, is a thing, whether it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's not objective, but it can, can just play out that way. Unusual though, that Joker did borrow, you know, take so much from this movie, so but much. then also made the tone bleaker yeah, and yet did extremely well. It wasn't a comedy, you know, though, so... Joker is substantially less funny than uh, King of Comedy. Yeah. Um, and yet still managed to play larger, so that's curious. But maybe there's other factors going on there, I think, such as, you know, the supposed legitimization of, you know, superhero movies, which a lot of people have a lot invested in, so... Yeah, if Nightcrawler turn up for that. was about Nightcrawler, uh, <laughs> and it was... And a, his dark... Yeah. Moonlighting from the X Men, <laughs> like Nightcrawler used his powers to be a voyeur and uh, capture all yeah. the bad news, all the disasters going on around LA or wherever it's set. Yeah, then that might could have know, done better. Might have done better. So it's probably yeah. you know, particularly if they kept Alan Cummings. Particularly if they kept Alan Cummings. Always every yeah. production. Well, tell you what, mate. Let's get into some of these things that we think people should have appreciated more back in 1980, whatever this was. Too. All right then. Bet. Oh, 1982. It was the year that E.T. took all of the money. That mm. might have helped. Blade Runner bombed in 82. 
oh. this isn't very similar to Blade Runner. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of sentences. Really? Mm. There's sentences in it, just like Blade Runner. <sighs> Especially about that when it had that narration. It's, oh, it's full of them. My first one is just you start with this television sequence, mm. but then as soon as you cut to the stuff, the first stuff that's actually Scorsese's photography, the streets with Pupkin emerging from the crowd, um, just you know plunges you into yeah. the way in which Scorsese shoots New York, mm. and it's just such a really good sort of yeah. And then when the credits come up, freezing with Bernhardt's hand over De Niro's face, playing oh, yeah. the entire credits, and then immediately returning to that moment again, yeah. Is yeah, extremely good. Yeah. Very stylistic. Super. I loved his suit. Uh, I loved De Niro's suit oh, in it. Oh, all I mean, his suits. Because he dresses like a talk show host. He's he's, yeah. he's got the 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 pastel colours and the, or like the dark uh, when he's wearing a darker suit. He's got those white loafers and he 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 dresses. You know, he dresses the part. He's like self actualization. The man. He's yeah. he's the secret and he's dressing for success. Because he's been to the Tony Robbins um, retreat. And the job he wants. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it just it just adds to the the sad figure that he is. Yeah, and in that first sequence, he's actually wearing the same thing as Jerry Lewis um, throughout the whole bit, just <laughs> yeah. to, to emphasize his sort of obsession. Yeah. Um, what did I mean by the wall bit? Oh, yeah, of course. He goes and uh, at one stage, and I don't know, you know, the, this is and a very abstract bit, but he goes and sort of performs some of his comedy in front of a crowd. Where you just hear the clapping and the applause, and it's a still black and white picture of a crowd. But as it pulls back, oh, yeah, it's just yeah, this yeah. immense wall covered in an audience. You don't know this is meant to be in his house mm. or some sort of museum he's frequenting because yeah. there's a white corridor around it, or if it's just an abstract dream yeah. space. But it's just a gorgeous, really, yeah, yeah. What's the word? A sort of encompassing shot. Yeah, I don't know if it's the beginning of that scene or there's a, there's a separate one when he's recording his i think when he's recording his uh tape for the sh- for the production company and um it mm. starts off with a you know quite a close shot of him with the microphone or the tape recorder and then the camera slowly pans round to reveal just yeah. this elaborate set of yeah. you know Jerry Jerry Lewis and everyone else and as the camera oh, keeps God, going yeah. it just gets bigger and bigger and it's just <laughs> you know yeah. That's like silent, horrified laughing. <laughs> That's what Nell and I yeah. were doing as it was happening because it was, yeah, yeah, just it, it, it was just gross. <laughs> oh god, yeah, absolutely. Um, I really like the sequence where in the dream he's imagining uh, Jerry Lewis. It's the second dream sequence where he's imagining Jerry Lewis really sort of saying, "I listened to your tape and it was great," and giving him feedback. And he he does this thing where he like mock strangles him and like whips his head back and yeah. forth, and then afterwards kind of grabs his face and is sort of smushing yeah. it and it's just really fun that De Niro was up for that yeah. and that Jerry Lewis did it and it's just imagining the sort of what it was like on set and it's yeah. just yeah a rare moment where you do remember that that is Robert De Niro and just really appreciate the fact that he was up for this because yeah. it was actually his idea to do a comedy next you oh, know really? he wanted to do a comedy next oh. so yeah and he sourced the script and all the rest of it so oh. it's good fun that's great yeah I love that moment the physicality of it is just superb yeah. Um, it's Meet it, the Fockers in the Making, mate. Oh, I love that film. Uh, <sighs> it's, 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 yeah, you're right. It does take you out. It took me out to f- sort of re- appreciate what was happening, but it wasn't, <laughs> didn't take me out to the point of it being a negative. It was just wonderful. Um, no. The, the, the scenes 
fuck me, like the, the the conversation in the limo when Jerry Lewis is, is oh, yeah. talking about how the the business works and like what's you know what's required. I th- I think you know I sometimes I go through phases of life where I watch more bad movies than good, and uh, mm. I hadn't seen too many good movies in the last few weeks, and just the framing, the staging of this shot, Jerry Lewis just calmly telling uh, De Niro about how the yeah. entertainment industry works was so f- f- fucking good. <laughs> it was just, it just yeah. felt like it cut through um, any static and nonsense. And it just felt like the purest, the purest thing I'd ever seen. There was something wonderful about yeah. it. Just the, their two performances. And, you know, even have these lovely natural moments of De Niro cutting off Jerry and, you know, starting on something, then apologizing for inter- interrupting and then carrying on. It just felt so lovely and natural with two really, really talented performers. Yeah, no, it's an incredible sequence. And just there's such a wonderful sort of intention, hidden intention, lie and sort of... um missed meaning yeah. going yeah. on between the two of them that it is just divine yeah okay uh bernhardt when uh when sandra bernhardt shows up on the street in order to accost um jerry lewis um her clothing just immediately sells insane in a way yeah. that i really like um heavy black shoes sort of clopping around with these sort of little girl white socks mm. coat that's too big Awkwardly rolled up at the sleeves, just really truncating the sort of middle part of her body, and then yeah. crazy big hair that mm. made her look like um, the really unsettling moments when Chris Morris used to do um, <laughs> female characters back in the day to day. That sort of blown out hair look. Yeah. Um, yeah, very unsettling in a way that was quite quite good. And then obviously <laughs> you've got Sandra Bernhardt's just incredible performance oh, of this unhinged character. She was amazing. Is, yeah. Oh, um, God. Yeah. And, and she, like, her performance for the first half of the movie was just, it was overt and brash and invasive. Mm. And the second half of the movie, when, you know, they kidnap Jerry Lewis, yeah. there, there is, the, like the, the second, the last 45 minutes of the movie could have just been her doing those, the things she did in those scenes. Yeah. And it's utterly mesmerizing. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think I've seen her in anything else. Oh, I've, uh, yeah, I've seen her about. She's um, she's been about. Yeah, it was in a lot of eighties stuff. Ah, okay, I'm trying to think now what I've seen her in. Yeah, cool. Um, well, she's been out. She showed up on a lot of comedies, I think, in the nineties uh, as well. Okay. Well, yeah. um, she, I, I, the costume you described. There are so many elements there that immediately take me to eighties music videos, like the suit with the rolled up sleeves and the, yeah. the jacket, sorry, with the rolled up sleeves and things like that. Like, I'm thinking it's not Duran Duran, but someone like that. Um, mm. It's probably Duran Duran. Fuck him. Um, the the conversation with De Niro and Jerry Lewis he, near the end. De Niro goes, you know, I had this conversation a million times in my head. It's, it's going his way. And Jerry Lewis goes, yeah. did it always turn out like this? Uh, did it always turn out this way? And De Niro goes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's it is really endearing. Yeah. It, it it shows that um that like yeah. softer side of him. Um, the, not yeah. softer, but like more emotionally honest and vulnerable, I guess. Uh, side yeah. of him, and it's very charming. It is, <laughs> and you think, oh, maybe it is, it... he's not going to be a complete fucking psycho. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's in there in the next film. I really enjoy the tatty esque uh, reception area where he's constantly made to wait. Mm. It just has this really maddening, sort of soulless, over designed 
kind of, I mean, the set design is just amazing throughout the whole thing because it does such a perfect job of yeah. um, communicating what is the kind of social um, sort of class nature of the space that they're in. And yeah. this lobby, this soulless kind of lobby with all of the divides and little booths and round spaces so that you're never looking at each other. And then his moment of just staring at the ceiling for ages and everyone yeah. else sort of looking up to try and figure out what it is he's staring at. Just, yeah, I really enjoyed the lobby sequence, the reception yeah. sequences and the set design is a big part of that. Well, I loved, yeah, the set design made me fit, uh, gave me milk bar vibes. Um, oh yeah, you know it's where the droogs would go to drink maloco, and um, the yeah, just some of the inanities that he'd utter whilst waiting, like looking up at the the cork yeah. ceiling and and saying you know cork blocks sound, uh, and saying it as though he's imparting wisdom yeah. that only he could provide, and him providing that wisdom will make him seem like a better fit for uh you know for the role of yeah. stand up on the Jerry Lewis show, it <laughs> mm. just. Oh man, you poor so lunatic! Just <laughs> stop. Um, mm. I loved the first seamless like tra- transition into the daydream sequence because you know he talks about how mm. this conversation's played out in his head, and then the next scene is is Jerry Lewis coming into the restaurant to beg De Niro to host his show for six weeks, and um, I feel like we know. We're all in on the joke, so we like we know very quickly that this is imagined. Yeah. This is a daydream, but at no point do does Scorsese or any of the performers l- lampshade it or yeah. or worry that it's not going to be obvious or like try too hard yeah. to make it seem real. Everybody knows, and there's just a joy to every be- everyone being in on the joke together, and yeah, and. And kind of there's a satisfaction in having figured it out um, mm. and, and then just enjoying the the punchline of it all. It's yeah. such a good scene. And again, we're like 10 minutes in and I just know that this is going to be yeah. <laughs> a really remarkable film. Yeah. And I also, I love the way it plays with, because once it's done it a few times, mm. there are moments where it feels like it's really playing with the idea of you not quite knowing whether this is a dream or not. Like mm. the scene where he does take his date to Jerry's house. Yeah. Oh, God, and it's yeah. only really the reaction of the staff that reassure you, okay, no, this is yeah, this yeah. is actually happening. And you have that sort of moment, that sinking feeling of, oh, no, I really wish this was in his head yeah. kind of um, moment. And, yeah, it's just really eloquently handled and the audience expectations constantly played with. Yeah. Um, I really like the fact that when he goes to jump out of the, gu- uh, the car mm. to kidnap Jerry Lewis, he drops his gun yeah. in just a very smooth motion. He accidentally kicks it down the street and has to go grab it before he's able to come back and sort of get yeah. him in there, but just doesn't let him f- let it phase him at all. Yeah. It's it's very good. <sighs> Love that. Um, yeah. Jerry Lewis is, uh, gets a phone call from Sandra Bernhardt and, goes, and when he says, how did you get this number? At the same time, a guy on TV behind him is on the phone. And, and it, as he says, how did you get this number? It zooms into the guy's face on the phone. And there's something that was incredibly satisfying <laughs> to see. <laughs> it, it just it, it, it felt like total mastery of the scene. Yeah. Love that um, I love the fact that when uh, uh, Pumpkin is getting Lewis to... Um, uh, read the cards there's a tiny little more in brackets on each of the cards where there is a next card and the, the whole yeah. thing with the cards is great because he's yeah. like muddled them up and yeah. mixed it up and then the last one just says end in little parentheses and it's just 
it's very good to imagine yeah. him sort of constructing this and yeah. thinking about what would be helpful for um, yeah for him to have yeah the niceties and the, the like the etiquette of yeah. it, it, it that's is what makes him such a fascinating character um as, yeah. as much as i wanted him to leave like this fascinating guy mm. who even when he's kidnapping um this guy to get this big yeah. break he's so courteous to jerry lewis um mm. and and he keeps like like asking if he'd mind if he had one of his chewing gum sticks and and, and, yeah. and things like that there's nothing yeah he doesn't see there's anything really wrong with kidnapping Jerry Lewis to get his big break. Yeah. So, it's, so he should still be courteous and professional <laughs> towards him. Yeah. Just, oh, Absolutely. Amazing. Um, the uh, Another wonderful bit from De Niro. I think this is when he's talking to um, Diane Abbott, MP for Hackney and Stoke Newington. And mm. he's blathering on and, and he's like, oh... Well, I guess you're entitled to come up and have some coffee. Oh, no, I wouldn't want to impose, really. I know I can be... What do you want? What? As his artifice completely drops. And it yeah. happens, you know, on a in an instant. And it's just those, yeah. those moments are so... No, so magical, mate. It's extremely good. Um, two... I, I'll have two sort of Bernhardt kind of moments, mm-hmm. which is one... Um, she talks about the blazer she's made for him, and I think the line is just, um, I made that for him, and it looks fabulous on him. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't make it for you. I made it for Jerry, and it looks fabulous on him. Which is a great little line. And then just the apartment at the end, when she's sort of done the place up, and she's got all these candles lit, and this sort of Baroque um, styling of their dinner mm. is just, you know, this beautiful kind of sp- insane space, because it's also implied that she sort of comes from money. Mm, yes. But she's just utterly uninterested in any of what that means and is only interested in, um, yeah, yeah, this celebrity kind of obsession that she has with Jerry. Yeah. The scene where Jerry Lewis walks down the street made me feel exhausted, where everyone recognizes him. And, you know, it starts off with a cabbie who's following him, like driving at two miles an hour down the street. Like, hey, why don't you put me in your show? Uh, You know, all that (laughs) shit that comedians Uh, always get. Like, oh, here's a fucking racist joke. You can use that. Um, Yeah. And And he's trying to. Yeah. accommodate everyone which is really nice yeah and be sort of quick quick-witted quippy jerry lewis still and then like yeah. someone else talks to him for an autograph and then there are just a bunch of tradies hanging off a scaffold mm. being like hey jerry jerry yeah <laughs> he's walking there and um yeah and then that woman on the phone morris you will not believe who's coming down the hill jerry langford right right oh morris please hold on jerry the seamless transition into uh like bile <laughs> is yeah it's it's shocking and it's really fucking funny you know because it like, is oh, it's such it's a big apparently... fun and cancer you should only get cancer yeah. You should only get cancer yeah. because apparently that is word for word what was said to him in a similar situation. And he actually oh. directed the woman on how to deliver it exactly how oh. it was said to him. That's so sad and depressing <laughs> for humanity. It is. I know. Gross. It's good stuff. Yeah. I love it. My last good thing. Oh. 
is just the incredibly good editing throughout the entire thing. And mm. this is Felma Schoenmaker, yeah. uh, who has been working with Scorsese since Raging Bull, to this day has edited Killers of a Flower Moon. <gasps> cool. um, and is going to be coming to London to talk about a bunch of her work in the coming months, which I'm looking forward to, mm. because she used to be married to Michael Bloody Powell of Powell and Pressburger. So, mm. you know, Lovely. it's going to be some good stuff. But... Yes, uh, just incredible work throughout the entire thing. It's hard to pinpoint an exact sequence, but just mm. little moments where it would suddenly cut from dream to reality or just yeah. from one sequence to another. The moment-to-moment editing is kind of flawless in this way that just pulls you through it, but the structural editing is like this helter-skelter yeah. into madness yeah. that just is completely compelling. Yeah. And, yeah, utterly brilliant. Cool. Well, I, I think we should just end it there because I've got a bunch Ooh. more, but I, I think I've said... <gasps> oh. You know, they get. I've gotten across everything I need to, um, and yeah. this is just. You know, to, I'll, I'll sum it up. It's just a, a bunch of wonderful lines of dialogue, wonderful performances, oh, yeah. comedic beats, perfect comedic timing. <laughs> um, and oh, and, and, and I will just say, there's a hard cut to Sandra Bernhard in the in the final mm. final act of the movie, um, that leads to one of the most mesmerizingly horrific. <laughs> and and and, and just yeah. truly brilliant scenes of the movie. Oh god, yeah. 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 Oh Jesus Fabulous. Christ. Wonderful. Well, mm. I forgot to ask the team. Oh. Young Martin Scorsese. I love the team. Sorry? There was a young Martin Scorsese in it and he was smiling and oh, laughing yes, there was. and that was delightful. Oh, he's lovely. And That's... he's playing the director. You little yeah. scamp. Little scampy boy. <laughs> oh, look at him. Okay. This is so much nicer than your little cameo in Taxi Driver. <laughs> Mine. Thank you for that. Then yours. Uh, I forgot to ask the team. Oh. But, tell you what, though. At okay. this place, it just feels impolite to not check in with BT Calloway and what his Twitter handle is okay. at the moment. So, uh, the only reason I have Twitter is to mess with OGT. That's good stuff. Thank we you, OGT. Thanks, OGT. We love that. We love that you're willing to put that much work into it. And we hope that never stops. Mess, mess with OGT. that this platform is going to die. <laughs> And one day you'll be left without a place to troll us. Yeah. Well, we can. There's there's a blue Quest Fantastic has a blue sky account, so um, I can probably give. T- I thought you were going to say a blue tick verified account on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's that's right. They're handing them out to fucking anyone. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I'll, I'll give OGT an invite and BT an invite oh, if yeah. he hasn't got one, and then he can continue that on there. Fuck yeah! So look out for that. Nice. Tell you what, BT, though, Calloway. Well, in. In lieu of the OG team, mm. and I imagine in lieu of a one better thing, for what could be better than thou? Oh, the Joker. <laughs> oh, check it out. Check it out if you struggle to watch movies that don't that haven't had a comic book character in them. But if you can tolerate not having that, mm. you can watch this. You owe it to yourself, mate. Tell yourself that Rupert Pupkin is the Riddler, and you'll be okay. Or isn't he? It's like uh, that's the kind of trick the Riddler would play. Oh my god, and Jim Carrey would too, especially when he's playing Andy Kaufman, who is originally meant to be the star in this movie. Oh my god! You see? It all comes back to comic books. Paul, how can people find out about the comic book that we've created to explain our origins? Oh, well, it's intentionally bad. Don't listen to what anybody else has said. <laughs> uh, especially <laughs> Roger Ebert, who reviewed it from the past. Um, it was it was that bad for him. But I think yeah. it's pretty good. Page one, yeah. Paul. Page one. Oh. OGT pod of Facebook and Twitter. Get in touch with us there if you want to um, troll us BT Calloway-esque. And only, no, nothing more intense than that, please. Don't take that as an invite to suddenly start 
saying, hey, you two, yeah. they've got stupid faces. Just do it in a cute way. What? Like BT no, Calloway. I wouldn't say that. No, I don't. Please don't say that because we're no. very sensitive about our stupid faces. This is the only face I have and it's exactly as stupid as God made it. It's a stupid face for a stupid podcast. That's what my mum always says. She doesn't know what half no. of those words mean. And um, but if you, that's why I love it. If yeah, well, you know, we all, we all love my mum for different reasons. And if if you want to, <laughs> if you want to go onto Twitter and Facebook at OGT Pod or become a patron because we also put the call out there, then you can because I just had to burp again. Oh. Sorry, I'm just thinking of oh. all our lovely OGT, and it's just making me gassier, <sighs> gassier than usual. I yeah. burped in between in the middle Same, of that mate. sentence. Wow, I just popped in another Renny. Oh, fantastic. Well, I've just taken some more stimulants, so let's see how that goes. And um, yes, you're not going to find a more medicated podcast than this one. Not even the ones with like really old twats like John Cleese on it or something. <laughs> um, That's true. I bet it takes a lot to keep Adam Buxton awake. Just, it just, just the the memory of being wronged by strangers keeps him going. <laughs> um, but yeah, on Twitter and Facebook and Patreon, we put out the call for the OG team. So if there's a movie that you've seen and can remember a couple of good things, sling them our way Just on there. Also, yeah. as I mentioned, <gasps> you may remember, we have a Patreon where for as little oh, yeah. as $1 a month, you get exclusive access to hundreds and hundreds of hours of content that we're not going to share with everybody else because that's not the no. kind of operation we're running. However, we're pretty egalitarian and it only costs you yeah. a quid. So many you know. quid. Come on. What whose OnlyFans can you subscribe for that much? Not many. Not many. Hours, but no. not, oh, not yeah. many. We also have an OnlyFans, so check that out. Um but yeah, you yeah. know, it pays it pays for hosting, it pays it pays yeah. for us to be able to host and to log into our host and go, Wow, algorithm yeah. week has been extremely successful. Yes. Oh my god. And if you are one of the new listeners who came along because of algorithm week uh, slash month, um, then thank you and yeah. welcome. And I hope you've enjoyed this one. And I hope you'll enjoy Nixon. And I hope you'll enjoy Frost Nixon. I'm Paul. I'm saying when the president does it, it's not illegal. <laughs> I'm I'm Paul Michael Sheen from Tron reminding you of Austin Powers. Hello, everyone. <laughs> diddle, diddle, diddle. And remember, the one good thing about Tron Legacy yeah. is that in The King of Comedy... Uh, everything about it is really good and we all need to treasure Martin Scorsese for every moment he's with us this one next one yep and that one this one too all of them the next 20 year that's right he's the eternal man